Good morning, good morning. Is that on? If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Use your phone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is a good morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God in his sovereignty has every moment, every minute of our lives organized and arranged. We okay? Let me read to you. <clears throat> for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. You know, it's that last word that... I've had a lot of attention drawn to the last couple days, a time to dance. We want to be as accommodating um, and as kind to as many people as possible. So we've arranged later on, just so that you know, some classes for each of us. Um, you can sign up later on. Matt Trumbull will be leading the expressive dance class, just so that you're aware of that. Uh, Marion Kahn is going to be signing up and leading the line dance class. Fran and Mary Lou Johnson will be leading the salsa class. You want to get to that one very, very quickly. Uh, Matt McDermott will be leading the ballet class. And Linda Gray will be leading the hip-hop class. Just want to make sure that everyone knows... We care for you. I love you. I miss you. And it is a wonderful, wonderful day God has blessed us with to simply be together to worship. First and foremost, I would ask that you bow your heads and pray with me as we commit our time in the word together to the Lord. Father, we come before you with such gratitude I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you, Lord, literally for the hundreds that have gathered on a day that, Lord, only you and your grace could script for us. We do know, Lord, and understand that in your sovereignty and your providence, you've called us recently in some very difficult times and days. We thank you, Lord, that you have always been there for us, that you've Keep your promise. You will never leave us and never forsake us. Father, I just pray right now as we gather for the first time, and I know there's a sense of anticipation and nervousness. We just commit everything to you. And Father, I would ask right now as we need to hear, I need to hear a word from you, that you would speak to us and that we who have ears would hear what you have. May you be glorified. Please guide me and help me every step. We ask this amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. A couple months ago, I promised that our very first Sunday back together again, we would celebrate Easter because we couldn't do it 
together this past April. So we're actually going to do that. That's why we've turned to Luke chapter 24. And we usually begin Easter with this. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Do you realize that the response that you just gave to me comes directly from Scripture? Let, let me tell you about it. I want to tell you just a brief story, and then we'll kind of explain that as it's unfurled before us in Luke chapter 24. I love stories with surprises. I love stories with twists and turns, and most of all, I love true stories. This is all of them. The very first Easter Sunday, 33 AD, there were two followers of Jesus. One was named Cleopas, and the other is simply unnamed. A friend, a companion, many think it may have been his wife. They had left Jerusalem to walk home to Emmaus, which was seven miles of a walk west. They had come earlier in the week for Passover, and it ended up either hearing about, or perhaps even worse, witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus had died, and Jesus was buried, and they are heartbroken. Yes, earlier in that very day, he had heard, they had heard that people had gone to the tomb and that the body wasn't there, but no one had seen Jesus. They're devastated. As they are walking on the road to Emmaus, talking together, a stranger comes up to them and, and asks the question, what are you talking about? The response is, are you, are you crazy? Are you the only one who does not know? Everyone is talking about one subject. There's been injustice, an unfair trial, a beating, a cross, nails, blood. And along the way, this stranger began to talk to them and tell them, that actually everything in the Old Testament points to this one who had been crucified, this Jesus. By the time they got to Emmaus, they had invited this stranger, this new friend, for dinner. And as they sat down at the table, it literally says that their eyes were opened up and they recognized him. The stranger that had been traveling with them was Jesus risen. They are so excited. They walk seven miles back to Jerusalem right away. I think every single step of the way saying he's risen. He's risen. He's alive. And when they get back to Jerusalem, back to the disciples... They shout, he is risen, and the disciples respond as you did this morning, he is risen indeed. People, today we will learn, we must learn in this day more than ever before. Because Jesus has risen, because Jesus is alive, it doesn't matter how dark it is out there. It doesn't matter how depressing, how hard, how harsh we too 
can go from sadness to celebration. Listen very carefully as we examine just a couple portions of this story in Luke 24. It says this in verse 13. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Talking about basically there's only one major story. There had been such excitement. Finally, finally, there had been what? A Messiah, a Savior. Finally, they have heard a message of salvation. Finally, they've heard that there's, there's a hope. They've witnessed healings. They've heard the preaching of truth. But now what? But now it's all gone. He's dead. With Jesus dead, all hope is dead. And now they were stuck in a setting of political tension, economic uncertainty, civil unrest. They were stuck in a setting of an abuse of power, injustice, fear, riots, violence, bloodshed, sickness, disease. You know, they were stuck in an environment that sounds a lot like the environment that we are living in right now. And you know what happens is in times like this, tough times, what happens? You've all been doing it. We talk about what has happened. It was Friday, March the 13th, late in the afternoon. Wendy and I were in Lancaster for a wedding rehearsal for Evan and Amanda. The wedding party had gathered, family had come, there were musicians there, photographers there, sound people, there was a level of excitement and anticipation when it was the bride herself who came up to me and said, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure if you heard or not, but the president has just declared a national state of emergency. No one, no one really understood, we've not been through, no one understood what that really meant. Saturday, the wedding was beautiful. Sunday, we came back here and we gathered for the last time. I was preaching in Exodus chapter 8 and 9 on the subject of the plagues. That was God's choosing, God's timing, not mine. And there was, obviously, the crowd was smaller than normal, and there was a sense of just nervousness, like people were uncertain, and, and it was unknown. Again, no one really knew what was going on. And in the days and weeks to follow, you know it, global pandemic, coronavirus, COVID, CV-19, and there's travel bans and social distancing. What's that? Schools were canceled. Kids were happy for a moment. University sent students home. Sports got canceled. A stay-at-home order. No church. And people are beginning to struggle with, wait a minute, there's a sense of anxiety and worry and fear. Most people didn't go anywhere. And if they did, they went out with masks and there was, again, a sense of uncertainty. The church gathered was replaced 
by sitting in, in living rooms in front of a computer screen or a TV screen, singing awkwardly. But the church was still praying, and the church was still trusting. And then, I think two weeks ago tomorrow, we saw this image of a, of a white cop in front of everyone literally kills a black man. And, and in a moment, we are all just revealed with what exists inside of human hearts. And people, what? It, it exploded into anger and violence and division and, and racial tension. And people are what? They're, they're, they're burning things up and lighting things on fire and destroying things and shouting and screaming at one another. Again, no one really, really knows what's going on. One moment we're at war with like a disease and now man is at war with man. I read that 2020 started off like 1974 with an impeachment crisis. It quickly became 1918 with a pandemic. It turned into 1929 with an economic crash and is now 1968, a massive social unrest. We talk about, we talk about what has happened. And when we talk about what has happened, it is very, very easy to think there is no hope. I think we can feel exactly like those two people walking on the road in Luke chapter 24. As a matter of fact, it says this in verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. Luke chapter 24 verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. After talking about everything that was horrible, everything that had happened... In the midst of what? Them being heartbroken and downcast and discouraged. It's in times like that <clears throat> that you and I can read these words and we have to be. We have to be encouraged. Look at verse 15 of Luke chapter 24 and be encouraged with this. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus himself drew near. And went with them. Oh, the comfort. Oh, the, the comfort and the hope that is found in those few words. People, you are never, you are never, ever alone. As the story, as the narrative continues on, it says this in verses 17 and 18, that their, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other? Cleopas answered. It's almost funny. Are you the only visitor who does not know what happened? Now, to this day, we don't know a lot about Cleopas. There's not a lot of references. I think this is the only reference right here. But we do know this. Cleopas will be forever known who is the only one who ever asked Jesus himself, do you know about the crucifixion? Like, that's just funny. Like, what are you talking about? 
Jesus is the only one who really knows everything about the crucifixion. But what? All they knew is that they were hurt. All they knew is that they were sad. I think that's a pretty accurate description of how all of us have felt over the past several weeks. Heaviness, nervousness, darkness. Do we hug? Do we not hug? Do we shake hands or not shake hands? What do we do? This whole world seems crazy. You see, likewise, the disciples had expected Jesus. We thought that Jesus was going to completely defeat the oppressors. oppressors. We thought that Jesus was going to completely fulfill every single one of their dreams. It says this in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But the exact opposite appears to be what happened. We are just like them. We are exactly like them. We place our hopes on certain things and we expect certain things to turn out a certain way. Our way. January and February, the economy is strong. We have nothing to worry about. We're America. What happens when the economy is not? Yo, I just got a scholarship, and, 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 and I'm going to go to play ball. What happens if no one's playing ball? Yeah, but I have education. I can fall back on that in case everything. What, what happens if you can't go to school like you thought you were going to? Well, we have, we, we, we can trust in the authority of our government. The government's going to, what happens if the government has, has no idea? What's going to happen? Just this week I read, in life, things don't always happen the way that we want, hope, pray, or expect. The road to Emmaus is littered with shattered hopes and broken dreams. But you know, it's, it's often in times of great sadness that the resurrected Jesus speaks. It is often in times of great sadness that the resurrected Jesus speaks. My favorite verse in all of Luke chapter 24 is in verse 27. It says this, he speaking of Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. As they're walking, he just began to talk. I, I think, I think, I think he would have to, I think he would begin with creation. From what? From perfection to rebellion. From, from perfect peace and beauty to thorns and thistles and murder and mayhem, but only Jesus can crush the head of the serpent and make all things perfect once again. Jesus was there with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit at creation. As he wove his way through the Old Testament 
from Noah to an ark that brought salvation. Jesus will bring us salvation. From Abraham to a promise, to a family, to a nation, Jesus will fulfill that promise. And Jesus will adopt you into his family. From Moses in slavery to freedom. From the wilderness to the promised land. Only Jesus will ever bring you freedom. Only Jesus will bring you into the promised land. From David, a boy with five small stones who slayed a giant in faith. Jesus is the only one who will slay the giant of sin and death. All of Scripture, all of Scripture speaks of this one who is walking alongside of them and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. When they got to what they thought was their destination for the day, they were hungry. Not just for food at the table, but they, they wanted to hear more. Tell us more. They've already been impacted in hearing this truth. They wanted to show kindness. They wanted to show generosity and hospitality. Sit with us. Eat with us. Please continue teaching. It says this. He took the bread and blessed it and gave it to them. Wait a minute. He took the bread and blessed it. He's the guest. The host is the one who takes the bread and blesses it. The host of the home. Not the visitor. And as soon as he blessed it, I love this. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Oh my goodness! Look who it is. I can't believe it. That's why it says what in verse 31? Our hearts burned within us when he talked. They were on fire. Talk about good news. Talk about a reason to rejoice. We have to tell others. They hightail it back seven more miles. By this time it had to be late in the day. Every step, he's risen, he's alive, he's arisen. It says in verse 34, they found the 11, those gathered together saying what? And you can see him almost bursting into the door. He's risen. He is risen indeed. Luke chapter 24, the final chapter of this great gospel concludes with the ascension. Jesus on the top of Mount of Olives, he lifts up his hands and he blesses the crowd, the eyewitnesses that had gathered. And he returns at that very moment to the glory of heaven. And the chapter closes in verse 52. And they worshipped him with great joy. They worshipped him with great joy. Wait, wait a minute. There's still social unrest. But they're able to worship him with great joy. There's still political corruption. But they worship him with joy. Joy in a pandemic? Yes. Joy in a world of racism? Yes. 
Well, let me tell you this. It's not going to be joy when a vaccination is found. Let me tell you that right now. It is not going to be joy when a white man and a black man hug for a photo op on the steps of City Hall. It's going to be a time of joy when both of those men and every other man and woman and child in the entire world falls on their knees and worships the risen Savior. That's when there will be great joy. You see, Jesus is the only answer, the only solution, our only hope in a world that is filled with pain and death. Luke, the author, continues writing on what happens. He picks it up in Acts chapter 1. Speaking of the ascension, right after Jesus ascended, it says that two men were there in, in bright apparel. And they said this, and I read in verse 11 of Acts chapter 1, why, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What does this text imply? Stop standing there. Don't just stand there. Go. There's good news. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I think, I think, I think what happens in moments like this, we forget that which is most important. We get so twisted and caught up with what's in front that we forget the big picture. And it takes moments like this where we gather and we step back and we look at the big picture. And we need moments like this. During the Spanish flu pandemic 102 years ago, 1918, they had to stop halt churches for meeting together. For one month, 50 million people died and they stopped holding church for one month. Today, this very day, marks three months since we have been able to gather together. And there has been much that has happened. There has been much sadness, death, and pain. One of the events that has happened, totally unrelated to all that is happening in the world, and it struck me, was the death of a great man of God, Rabbi Zacharias. If Billy Graham was the great evangelist of our time, then Rabbi Zacharias was the great apologist of our time. Amen of incredible, impeccable integrity, the sharpest and keenest of minds, had the blessing of sitting multiple times under his teaching. On May the 29th at his funeral, Louis Giglio, who's the pastor of Passion Church, said this, and I quote, speaking at a memorial service, for someone who has died, he said, we are closer to life than we are of death because of Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, we are closer to life than ever before. Oh, there is such truth to that. 
Three things I want you to do. Number one is this. Tonight, and I mean this, tonight, you gather, you get on your knees, and you thank God that he has kept his promise that said, after three days, I will rise again. Tonight, do that. Thank God that he has kept his promise. Secondly, while you're on your knees, I want you to pray. Search my heart, oh God, and see if there be any wickedness that's in me. Doubting God. Fearing what we should not fear. Racism. Anger. And confess it. Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. The third thing I want you to do is this tomorrow. I want you to find one person who is looking sad and you will not have to look very hard. You will not have to look very far. Find that one person and just like Jesus, I want you to draw near and walk with them. Commit to walk with them them and talk with them what how all of the scriptures point to that one Jesus who is risen who is risen indeed can you do those three things when we do those things as a local church we are doing and being what God has designed and intended for us to do and be as those who have been called out according to his purpose not ours There's been difficult times we have met regularly as elders to pray together, to pray for you and to pray for what's happening around us. And we were meeting just this past Wednesday night. And it was heavy. It was heavy and it was hard conversation. When towards the end of the meeting, our dear brother, Dr. Art Gray, spoke up. He's a man that when he speaks, I want to listen to. And he said this, you men will remember it. And I quote, am I missing something? That is such an art statement. Am I missing something? Isn't this what we have been praying for? We exist for only one purpose, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This is the perfect time. To do just that, end quote. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that is such wisdom. That is godly wisdom that comes from above. This is hard as it is. Let me tell you this. By your presence here this morning is an indication. As hard as it is, this, this day, this is a perfect time. To do what God has called us to do. May we be faithful to share the amazing hope that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a God in glorious, holy perfection. And there is us in unholiness. And a great chasm that divides the two. A brokenness in relationship. But God saw you. And saw me 
He didn't just tell us, oh, I love you. He, he did something about it, and he sent his son who suffered and died in ways that we cannot even imagine. But he kept the promise to said, after three days, I will rise again. And he did that. And because of Jesus risen from the dead, when we put our faith and our trust in knowing and admitting what we already know, I am a desperate, deplorable sinner, unworthy. But God still loves me and can forgive me. And when I put my trust in him, and commit to follow him the best that I can with his strength, according to his word and helped by his spirit every single day. This group right here, this group gathered, won't just change Pennsylvania. We'll change Lock Haven. We'll change Pennsylvania. And the word of God says that we can change the world upside down, a world that is hurting into a world of hope, a world that is filled with sadness into a world of celebration. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I just love you. I love the message you've given to us. I thank you for every person that is here. I know, Lord, that there are many that are aching and suffering and hurting. And God, I would ask that you would minister comfort and strength to them, but by our being together today and rejoicing in your goodness and grace. We can have a renewed understanding of who we are and what we are called to do. But God, we admit and confess we cannot do it. We cannot do it on our own and in our own strength. Please help us. We need your help. We ask this in the amazing and matchless name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen.